Welcome to the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing young people. I'm your host, Laura. On this episode, we are discussing testing. Our guest is Tom Burns, a veteran high school educator and school administrator. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be here. Now, for most schools, there are scheduled sessions of standardized testing that take place over the course of a school year. Today, we're discussing the ins and outs of this type of testing and talking about ways that parents can approach this with a healthy and holistic mindset. So I'd like to start, Tom, with just a basic question of what would you say are the most used tests when it comes to standardized testing for school-age kids? Sure. And if uh, if you're a person of a certain age, you know, you probably remember taking a lot of these tests. Um, I grew up taking the Stanford Achievement Tests and that one, those are still around, though not used as quite as much. You'll hear an awful lot of talk about the Iowa tests. That's another common standardized test. Uh, Terra Nova has had a, a, a large market share. Uh, the ACT got into the game what, what, a few years ago by getting some standardized testing. But the one that has really staked out a, a huge chunk of the market recently is the MAP test uh, from uh, NWEA, which it was it was uh, started by uh, a group of teachers who were not satisfied with the the current world of standardized testing and actually set out to do it differently. And so the MAP tests are they've taken up a lot of space in the standardized testing world over the last decade or so. And would you say that that's true both in public and private education environments? Absolutely. Yep. They, they, the, one of the nice things about the MAP tests is that they're, they're adaptive tests rather than, than the, the traditional standards test. So what that means is rather than a discrete number of questions that get asked or available questions, so every fourth grader that takes, say, the, the, the Stanford Achievement Test would have taken this, would have been asked the same, let's say, 50 questions, whether they were taking that in, in Washington State or Virginia or Arkansas or wherever they were, they were ta- answering the same questions. What the, the MAP test does is it um, has a bank of, of thousands and thousands of questions and uh, asks different questions and then, and then adapts the, the follow-up questions based on whether or not the student got the question previously, previous to the, to the one currently asked, whether they got it right or wrong. It gives them a more difficult question if the last question was right, an easier question if the last question was wrong, and it's, it creates an, an adaptive test for them that way. So it's, it's very different from maybe if you're a parent today and your child is taking standardized testing, it's probably a very different testing experience for your child than what, than what you would have grown up with. As a parent now, I hear about Dibbles and MAP and COGAT and STAR and PSAT. I mean, there are so many acronyms and so many different names. Do these tests fall into different categories or is there an easy way for parents to kind of get their mind around, okay, this test is for this skill or this is the way this test works. It, it is important to know what test is being taken. Some of those that you mention are very specifically like they're, they're a test for reading or they're a test for, um, for cognitive ability or the simplest way to think of cognitive ability is like an, an IQ test, though all of those tests would say it's not an IQ test, but that's the, the general idea. It's, it's the student's academic ability versus their, their um, performance in any one discipline. 
those are all, th those things are, are a bit different from standardized tests, which are intended to measure, not necessarily a student's ability, but they're intended to measure a student's performance uh, against a, a peer group that's similarly aged. And so, and, and truthfully can be very much over-tested and, and there's a lot of discussion about that. And, and, and yet at the same time, it, it is good to have some data for every student to know how that, that student will compare to, to peers at their same age and, and grade level. And so finding that sweet spot is important, but yet there, there's so many things out there, so many different tests out there that, that, that kids are sitting for and taking and getting results back that, that to, to understand all of it can be quite a, a, a task for parents, particularly parents who, who, who are uninitiated in this whole area of, of testing. It does seem that there is more testing nowadays than, you know, when I was in yeah. school, maybe previous years. Is that actually true? Is there more testing now? Well, yes, there is more testing now. A couple realities of the 21st century educational world to, to deal with. The federal government <laughs> has stepped into education in ways that they didn't when, when I was in school. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a person of a certain age. Growing up, most of my education was in the 80s. And, and you know, standardized testing was, it happened then, but, but it wasn't the same, the, there wasn't the same pressure on it. And so there are, there's, there's a political governmental factors that have increased it. And along with that comes, let's just be blunt about it, comes money and funding and so there's there is a there's an economic market for testing that that didn't exist a generation or two ago and so all of that has created just you know a, a marketplace with competition and and capitalism has led to this explosion of available testing options and, and there's no way around it too that 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 the technological advances that have been made have made it so that all of that data is, it can be overkill. All of that data is now um, accessible and manageable in ways that maybe it wasn't before. Decisions that, were, that would have been made locally or individually in the past, the data can now be gathered in, in such ways that it, it can be aggregated and disaggregated to, to really sort of pin down information that just wasn't available just a few decades ago. So who uses that data and for what? That's a great question. I would say the most important use of that data ought to be local school districts and, and classroom teachers that have the students in their classroom. When testing is used best and right, it's, it's used in those places. A, a classroom teacher may notice a child whose reading level hasn't grown um, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, or maybe it's dropped. And that ought to be a trigger that something is going on with that child. I know, you know, of cases where the, um, some, some vision problems were detected that way and, and gives kind of early warnings of that. It ought to be available for local schools to be able to look at curricular programs. You know, are children growing uh, in, in a math program be between grades three and six at the, at the pace that they ought to? That's when it's at its best. There's, you know, obviously my context is in a private school. And so, you know, we're using it internally. We, we, have, to, we have to give it and do it as a part of our state charter. In Ohio, but the state at, at most levels when it comes to most standardized testing is not requiring us to report in any kind of individual scores other than internally we have to acknowledge whether or not students are meeting the criteria where the state has criteria. I know that that you know 
this is it's a raging debate in public schools because of state report cards and report cards that are tied to funding and and then for individual teachers and their student performance on these tests gets tied to their evaluation and boy it, it is a a huge hot topic and and I would say in many places the data is abused would be strong but but not used well to, and not used in ways that that give life to education let me put it that way whereas um, a, a healthy use of data is going to help make inf- good informed decisions for what's best for students and and not just simply punitively for for classrooms or schools at large yeah so you said at best data is used to inform perhaps curriculum, planning, meeting the specific needs of children as they grow. On the parent side, what are some of the key elements of any particular test results that parents should be paying attention to on their own end to advocate for their children and to be able to monitor their children's progress? On the extremes of any any conversation around any subject, but particularly testing is total neglect of my, my child's testing results. And on the flip side, so much emphasis on my child's testing results that I'm obsessed with them or I'm overly concerned with them. And, and, and striking that balance is difficult. It, it really can be because decisions are and will be made for children and their academic courses of study and, and different things based on test scores. And, and it, it is it is a reality and test scores are rightly used to make those decisions. I mean, it's, it's the most objective measure that's available. It has limitations. So the thing I would say to parents about your child and their test scores is, is to keep an eye on them, to keep an eye on them. But that eye is um, less important to keep a, a close watchful eye on those test scores than it is your child's everyday, day-to-day academic progress. I would encourage parents that that classroom teachers, not just by and large, but but almost overwhelmingly, classroom teachers are in the profession and doing the work that they do for the good of students. Of course, there's ex- ex- exceptions to that, but but that's that's why people get into teaching and, and stick with it and do it. And so, and and they're professionals. I mean, they 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 know their field, they know their their content and their their and their subject matter. And so, when a classroom teacher is is monitoring a child's progress and is seeing academic growth and the child is meeting the standards in the classroom. And that's the best indication that your child is learning and being educated. I would encourage parents, if you see huge gaps between what standardized testing might say and what's going on, what I was receiving in the classroom as far as their assessment grades and scores, that is cause for a conversation with classroom teachers to get to the bottom of that. A gap where standardized testing says, says one thing that, that the child is very, very high and, and is, is, is should be achieving or their ability is at a very high level and yet their classroom scores are not matching that, could be an indication of an underlying issue, perhaps um, inattentive ADHD or something along those lines, or like I mentioned earlier, like a vision problem or something that where the child's not disruptive, so they're maybe not coming to the to the attention of the teacher, but there may be something going on in their learning environment that isn't helping them. That would be where the ability is high or what or the standardized test scores are high, but their classroom work is not, their, their, their schoolwork, their grades are, are low. On the flip side, if their grades are really high and their test scores are pretty low, th- that can indicate some, some very positive things, that the child's extremely diligent, that they're working hard, that they're completing their work and they're putting in extra time. 
but it could also be an indication that that monitoring that child's progress academically in the future as academic work gets more difficult would be very important that a child may hit a, ch- a level of challenge that's that that could lead to some some struggle um, in their academic studies as they go down down the road so so it's, i think it's important to to keep an eye on them, but the best indication um, of student growth and student learning is still their their classroom work, their classroom grades, trusting the teachers. If I could encourage parents with one thing, the first thing to do is to have a conversation with the child's classroom teacher. I know I said that once already, but just to reiterate that, that teacher is spending large amounts of time with the student. And, and I believe overwhelmingly that teacher is there to help that student learn and grow. So I would encourage parents to go there first before we try to look at wholesale curricular changes or lobbying school administration or school boards to do something about standards. Or I think the first step is to have that conversation with the classroom teacher. And how has your experience as an educator, a school administrator, and a parent really informed your knowledge of testing and your approach to testing? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I taught in a subject area that wasn't, wasn't subjected to, to standardized testing in my teaching career. So, so for the first 12, 15 years of teaching, it wasn't a world that I was familiar with. It wasn't until my children started to reach um, probably upper elementary school, where I started to ask questions about their own, their tests. And, and I leaned on, on people who had been in education longer than I had. And I leaned on friends who were administrators to sort of walk me through it and explain it to me to help me understand what I was looking at and what it meant for my children and areas of strength and weakness for them academically and, and things to, to keep an eye on and monitor for them. So, so I came at this as a parent and then, then began an administrative role that, that oversaw testing and really had to get my hands and, uh, dirty with it in, in ways to, to, get, to get into it and understand it. I think in some ways that I believe that that provided me with some objectivity about it to put it in its proper place. The truth about testing is that it's a one day, you know, one moment, maybe at, at best two hour long snapshot of that child's work. And there can be so many factors on that day that altered it one way or the other. And, and there's obviously a margin of error in that testing compared to the norming, norming group. And so there's all kinds of things that have to be taken into account when it comes to, to one individual child's performance on one individual test. And so all that being said, the experiences of, of, and, and my, um, my training in this have led me to just the conclusion of Testing is is necessary and important, and it does serve a function or role, but it it's still subservient to the learning standards established by the local school district or the private school you know um, school district that's doing the the educating, what they're aiming for, and and what those goals are for them, and and then those teachers assessing students along those the lines of the school, and that's sort of that's been my journey with it and how how I understand it. Hey parents, I want to hit pause on this episode for just a minute. It's estimated that a student in the U.S. spends nearly 9,000 hours completing their elementary and lower secondary education. When we consider how many hours our kids spend at school, there's no denying the fact that a school has a profound influence on our children. One of the most important decisions we make as parents is where to send our children to school. If you'd like to get to know more about Worthington Christian School, download our free 24-page viewbook available in the show notes. 
Now, back to our conversation. As parents try to develop a healthy approach to their kids' testing and testing results, what are some practical talking points that you think uh, parents could use to discuss testing with their kids? Boy, we're back in that sort of sweet spot, right? You don't want a child to dismiss standardized testing because there will be decisions made there will be decisions that need to be made for a student and that the result of that standardized testing in almost every school in, in America is going to have some element of the data. This, particularly, this becomes particularly important with students who do well in school and who are considering accelerated pathways and those kinds of things. That, that test data becomes pretty critical in, in differentiating between student A and B who both get Maybe they both have a 95% in their math class, but but which of those two students is going to be most likely to succeed if they move forward and accelerate in a math program? Well, it's going to be the student who scores higher on their standardized tests. Again, the more data, the better. So if, if it's just one testing point, it's probably better to have two. And if two are good, three is even better. You know, the more data points that you have to look at. So I would encourage parents with their own kids to, to number one, help their kids understand that, that this is a, it's a necessary part of education. It's, it's, a, this is a, it's a compound thought, right? It's a necessary part of education. They need to do their best. But no student is defined by their, their score on any standardized test. So helping kids understand that while it's important, there's no path to just prepare for this in a way that's going to inflate their score you just do your best work day to day in the classroom and that prepares you to to do your best on a standardized test when it comes along and that standardized test should reveal you know where where a student or how a student is performing and where they stand versus a peer group of other students in their same level you've hinted at this a little bit but i don't think any conversation on testing would be complete without talking about state testing, that phrase gets sure. thrown around a lot in schooling. So what's up with that? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, <yeah>, state testing. <laughs> state testing, and, and I, you'll have to forgive me, I, in the state of Ohio, I know quite a bit outside of Ohio, I, my expertise quickly um, diminishes. But state testing is any, any testing that's mandated by the, the state or at some, in some way, there's also federal money that is attached to states doing their state testing. And with, with state testing, the state's going to mandate that, that schools participate in a standardized testing program. Now, depending on the school that your child attends, that could mean several different things. If you're in a state public school, that usually means that there, at certain points, there's going to be proficiency scores that, that must be reached in order to advance to the next grade level or move into the next school level or in the state of Ohio. There's, there's tests that scores that, that students have to score on, on tests in order to receive a diploma from a charter school in the state of Ohio. In a private school setting, usually it means that to maintain the charter in the state that we have to perform the tests, but we do not have to share the, uh, the testing data with the state. Now, there are a couple exceptions to that, but and, and one of those exceptions is graduation testing in the state of Ohio. Students must score at a proficient level in math and reading, and then they must also accumulate some other standards for social studies, or they can go vocational programs or other things in the military. But students must 
perform at a certain level on those tests in order to receive a diploma. And so that a reality of, of educating in the 21st century and the heart behind it is what I believe is, is a good heart. The heart is we don't want to graduate kids who can't read and can't perform basic mathematic, you know, functions. I, I, and, and so in that regard, I get that. But at the same time, I'm, I'm pretty sympathetic to those who would say, like, this is an intrusion. In many ways, it is. Um, it is an intrusion. But in the same way that we would, we would say to parents, do your best, and it's going to take care of itself, by and large, with testing. Good schools ought to be able to say, we're going to do our best, and this is going to, most of this is going to take care of itself for all of our students. And that is, by and large, the case. I can say, in my experience in our school, that has been the case. We, we do our best and 99.5% of our students, just the state testing, they perform well on the state testing because they're motivated students from invested families and they've received a quality education. And so that state test is just one more opportunity to show the world what they know and have learned. I don't have a crystal ball, but if I did, I would guess state testing is here to stay. Like state mandates on testing are here to stay. Quality schools are going to continue to, to produce students who can achieve on those tests. When you look at your own kids' test results for their respective tests they've taken at school, what do you look for? You know, I can remember those early days when my oldest son was getting probably close to middle school. I started to look more closely um, at, at his test scores. And, and seeing just number after number and some scales in the hundreds and some scales in double digits and then others that are, you know, just a, a single digit plus a decimal. And what does all that mean? And I would encourage parents, the wonderful world of the internet can give you more information than you would ever need to try and understand what all of those scores mean. But the place I would start is by saying that every test has a proprietary rating scale, some kind of scale that their students go, go on. Usually these are numbers in the hundreds, though, depending on the test, it can be thousands or whatever. But then what every test has is what, what's called a norming group. So they have a, they've given that test to a, a statistically significant group of students that tells them, uh, that gives a percentile score. So, so if, if a test is, is a scale score has a, is a thousand on the scale score. Essentially, out in fifth grade is taking a test and your child gets a 336 on that test. And that's the, that's the number that's assigned to it based on their performance on the test. What the testing company has done is they've given that test to a norming group and they have a percentage of students who scored above 336 and below 336. That produces a percentile number. So when you see a number that would say your child's percentile score was 54 percentile. That number is probably the easiest to understand, but it can also be misunderstood. 54th percentile does not mean that they got 46% of the test wrong and 54% of it right. It means that if that test were given to 100 students at the same grade level, your child would have performed better than 54 of those 100 students and worse than 46 of those 100 students. That's what a percentile score is. Now, it's also important to know if those percentiles are on a bell curve or a flat line, and those things are all going to be based on the test that the child takes. But essentially, that percentile number is the easiest to understand as long as we don't confuse what a percentile score is. So then the, the way to think about that is that all of those percentile scores, what that's going to mean is that a, that a score of 50th percentile is directly in the middle of the norming group 
for the child's age and grade level. So anything above 50th percentile means that the child is going to be above average, moving closer to 100%, it, it's going to be further and further above average. Anything below 50th percentile is going to mean that that child scored below average based on the norming group. And again, the reason that, that it matters to know whether or not it's a flat line or a, or a bell curve would be the closer you get to the extremes, um, the less accurate the testing, the percentile score becomes. So the closer you get to 100th percentile, the less there's, there's a much greater difference between a student who scores 95th percentile and 96th percentile than there is between a student who scores 50th and 51st if it's on a bell curve. No one is better than the other. It just sort of means it impacts the way those numbers get interpreted on a percentile basis. So you talk about the percentile score and let's say, you know, a parent gets a test result back and the percentile score is on the low extreme sure. of what you've just described. Is that cause for panic? Yeah, panic is never a, a great a great thing to experience when it comes to your child and their education. And it's best to almost to never panic. And here's why. If your child is achieving in the classroom, child's teacher is on board with your child learning and growing and moving forward, then you don't need to panic over a test result. As mentioned, it, it, one test result could be the factor of the child didn't sleep well the night before, or you know the child is distracted by something else going, some other environmental factor going on, or, or the middle schooler has a big uh, soccer game in the afternoon and they just wanna get done with this test as quickly as possible. If that's what it is, if it's one test score, and there's no other indications of trouble, then certainly there's no cause for panic. There's also, there shouldn't be cause for panic if your child typically school is a struggle, right? If, if school is a struggle for your child and you see a test score that comes in that is that is lower than the, the midline, that it's below average, or maybe it even gets down, down low into like a bottom third or bottom quartile, what that test is doing is it's it's confirming what you're experiencing as a parent. That my school is is a struggle for my child, and certainly if that's the case for the child, then panic is not prescribed. Best possible scenario is when the test scores just match perfectly what my child is experiencing in school. And so if my child is struggling in school and my and their teacher is saying they're just having a harder time. And then a test score comes in that confirms that in many ways, see that as a blessing that we're not off base here. That, that Now it does mean action, right? It does mean that I, I may need to explore the needs that my child may have in order to increase, to close those gaps, to, to, to perform better. But those are different questions from panic. You know, what, what do we do if our child comes home with a low score? Uh, certainly, certainly don't panic, but, it, but it's as always open up communication with their classroom teacher. Try to get to the bottom. Again, if it's an aberrant score that they normally score well and now they have a low score, let's find out if there was something else happening that day or that week or something. Was the child sick? Was there something that went along with it? And, and then we can sort of dust that off. I, I think it becomes, like, like we've, we've said as well, it, it becomes a challenge when a child isn't struggling in school, where, where school is very natural to them and, and they're learning and, and things seem to be, to be pretty easy. And then they have a string of standardized tests that show low scores. If, if, if they're receiving low scores after two or three test sessions, depending on the test that's given, that could be within the same year, or it could be over a couple of years, then it's time to really start to investigate and figure out what's, what's going on. Why, why is my child 
testing at a lower level and yet achieving in the classroom at a, at a much higher level. That could be an indication that th- there's some sort of learning need, or maybe it's test anxiety or something along those lines that earlier you can intervene in those things, the better. So that's why we need to keep an eye on test scores, but at the same time, not get too bent out of shape with any one test score. So don't panic. Don't panic. Yeah. Yeah. Don't panic. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this conversation and parents. Thanks for listening in a new episode of the navigating your child's education podcast is published on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to like and subscribe and the latest episode will automatically appear in your preferred podcast library. 